Hello, and welcome to the Leading in Times of Challenge podcast, produced by the Greater Des Moines Partnership. I'm your host, Mike Jefferson. Thank you for joining us as we talk with community leaders from across Greater Des Moines who share their greatest accomplishments and their biggest challenges. Now more than ever during these trying times, leadership remains crucial to the strength and resilience of our region. Let's hear from today's leader. Joining me today on the podcast, she is a graduate from Iowa State University. From there, in November 2014, she was elected as the first woman to serve in federal elected office from the state of Iowa and has also became the first female combat veteran elected to serve in the United States Senate. Senator Joni Ernst joins us on the podcast today. Joni, how are we doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much, Mike. We're tackling a lot of issues in the Senate today. Oh, I believe it, given everything that's uh, that's going on. But before we jump into some of those things, um, I gave a very brief bio and, and probably one that, that most people that, that know you know about already. But for the sake of those listening that, that, that may not know who you are, um, can you just tell us a little bit more about yourself? You bet. Thanks so much, Mike. I, I grew up on a farm in southwest Iowa, small family farm, Montgomery County. And from there, I uh, went on to, as you said, Iowa State University and served in the Army Reserve and the Iowa Army National Guard for 23 years. Uh, during that time, I served the state in various capacities, serving during various flood events, um, part of a rear detachment for Hurricane Katrina, where we helped our friends to the south. Um, but then probably the most significant action was uh, the deployment of my unit, where I served as a company commander for 150 Iowa Army National Guardsmen during Operation Iraqi Freedom One from 2003 to 2004. And then after returning from um, Kuwait, then I went on to serve my community as the county auditor and within the Iowa State Senate and then on to the United States Senate. So my life has been very centered around service and um, you know, providing opportunity for others. Uh, so I'm just very fortunate to have had such a wonderful life and to be able to turn around and hopefully make better, better lives for Iowans as well. You know, we talk about challenges, and obviously that's the, the theme of this podcast. Um, and we have you talk about a couple, but one you mentioned is probably going to be enough for us to go on based on the how, how big of an event that was. Uh, talk about the challenge of uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom. Um, talk about how you maybe went into that and correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe went into that thinking like, uh, this maybe wasn't what I thought it was going to be. How am I going to get through this? How am I even going to attempt to lead my unit, uh, to be successful? Talk about some of those, those challenges you faced within that role. And thank you for that, because serving in the Iowa Army National Guard and, and really serving overall um, my country in uniform was probably one of the most significant honors of my life. And to be charged with leading uh, fellow Iowa National Guardsmen during a time of combat was very significant, and the challenges were extreme at the beginning of 2003. So when we were mobilized at that time, uh, and as today, Turkey is considered an ally, 
And the unit that we were being assigned to or under uh, in Operation Iraqi Freedom was a unit that was deploying through Turkey. And Turkey, at the very last moment, said it would not allow United States forces to project into Iraq um, in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom. So we were sent through Kuwait. There was a lot of chaos. Kuwait is a very small country. Um, we were then handed off to another unit. We couldn't deploy with our original unit. And so it was very challenging. Uh, we didn't know where we were going to be assigned. Our equipment wasn't able to get into Kuwait initially. It had been redirected, of course, from Turkey, then uh, over to Kuwait. It was loaded on three different ships. Um, and so there was a lot of chaos, a lot of confusion. We didn't know, you know, where we were going to end up. And it was, it was difficult because I was the leader of this unit and I didn't have the information that I could pass on to my soldiers and put them at ease. Everything was so, so difficult. There was very, very little communication in theater at the time. It was very hot. We had gone from a foot of snow out of Fort McCoy, Wisconsin, to 90-degree heat in Kuwait. Mm -hmm. uh, we were waiting on our equipment and our gear, and it was just really hard on our soldiers. And again, very little communication. They couldn't call back homes and back home and let their folks know that they were okay. Uh, so it was very hard. Um, but eventually we were able to sort through all of that, get our unit into Camp Eric John and start projecting from there. Um, but it was very challenging, very confusing. Um, of course, the, the fears of the soldiers and not knowing exactly what would happen, where we would end up. It was a lot to take on at that time. Right. And now to take that even a, a step further, Senator, um, what were some of the things that you did uh, sticking with that story as a leader to help, you know, your troops and your soldiers get through those tough times, you know, especially not being able to contact loved ones back home or not having the equipment, as you said, because it was, you know, on three ships or something like that. What what ways did you give those soldiers comfort to know, hey, we're going to be OK, we're going to pull through and we're going to do what we have to do to get done? What did, What did you do? Well, the very first thing that I did when um, it got very frustrating and I was checking in with the headquarters tent every day to find out if we had our call forward orders, to find out what unit we were being assigned to. I mean, every few hours I was going by to see if our unit name was up on the board yet. And, you know, it became very frustrating for me. I felt very out of control. And what I did, um, I went to the chapel. There was a little tent set up as a chapel. And I went in. I just needed to pray and to, to give my soul some rest. And it was so funny. I barged into the tent thinking it would be empty. And I, I bust right into the middle of a mass service, you know, a Catholic <laughs> mass service. I just joined them. I'm Lutheran, but I just joined on in. Um, but I, I just had to put myself at ease and know that I'm not in control of the situation. There is nothing I can do right now to change the outcome. I must rely on others. And, and the first and foremost thought was, that, you know, I just need to rely on God to get us through this. Um, it put my, my mind at ease. Um, but communicating with my soldiers that 
it will be okay. You know, working in conjunction with my wonderful, wonderful first sergeant, you know, and making sure that as we got information, we were communicating that to our soldiers, um, making sure they knew we cared about them, and that should anything come up, we're going to be right there beside them. You know, the important thing to me is to lead from the front, to exhibit leadership, and my soldiers needed to understand whatever hardships they were going through, I was going through those same hardships with them. So eventually we did get our call forward. We were assigned to uh, a really wonderful unit, uh, the 68th CSB out of Fort Carson, Colorado. And from that point, we really started to find stability and a rhythm in our missions. And we just had to keep pushing through those challenging times. But at least we understood that things would get better. We needed to hang together. And we did, and we returned home 150 soldiers strong. And you had touched on this point a little bit earlier, so I want to I take a, a quick dive into that. Uh, you talked about uh, prayer and uh, having to center yourself and, and realize that you weren't in control and that, you know, there was, um, there was, there was more to it, to it than just, you know, kind of what you were doing. It, it was greater than you, I guess, for, for lack of a better way to put it. Um, what are some of the things, if any, in, in addition, um, you know, to the, the the finding spiritualness and the prayer? What are some things that you do um, to to keep your mental health at an optimal level? Because you know, obviously, being a leader takes a lot. I mean, you're you're carrying the weight. In your case, you're carrying the weight of 150 soldiers on your shoulders, and and we know that can be mentally and physically draining. Um, you know, for you. How do you keep yourself at high performing levels uh, so that not only when you're leading soldiers, but you're leading your constituents now and you're uh, leading these committees that you're on now in the Senate? What are some of the things that Senator Ernst does to recharge the batteries at the end of the day? I think that's a great question. And there are several different things that I do that are very important to uh, keeping uh, my soul calm. And I do participate in a bipartisan Bible study. Uh, we did one this morning on Zoom. And it's, you know, it is just really re- refreshing not to focus on politics, but the things that can bring us together as parties. And so, you know, that time of reflection is really important. But outside of spirituality, just spending time at home with my family and my friends. And again, you know, I grew up in Montgomery County. I still live in Montgomery County in a rural area. I'm about five miles from the farm where I grew up. And spending time with my, whether it's my brother or sister and their families or my mom or dad, um, I have a number of friends that I've grown up with my entire life that still live in Montgomery County. And for us to get together and just laugh and reflect upon our challenges and also the really good things that have happened in our lives um, is really important for me to recharge. Um, People ask me about the 99-county tour as well. And when I'm out in different communities, I just had somebody ask me the other day, oh, my gosh, the hours that you keep and time on the road, they're like, how do you find the energy to keep all of that up? 
And honestly, when I go into a room full of Iowans, I may be dead tired when I walk into that room, but I am drawing so much energy from them. And that really recharges my batteries <laughs> just to uh -huh. be able to spend good time with them and to talk about you know, what is really important to them and to their families and their communities? And then how do we come together to find a path forward? And you know what? At the end of the day, I can go home and, and lay my head on my pillow in Red Oak, Iowa, and know that, you know, I have taken the suggestions and ideas from family, from friends, from Iowans, and they make me the person that I am and the ideas that I put forth in Washington, D.C. And, and I'm really grateful for those opportunities, and it does give me a great sense of peace. Okay. And now circling back, or I guess to bring this full circle, um, times are crazy right now, um, obviously dealing, dealing with COVID-19 um, in addition to the, the unrest that's been taking place over the last couple of weeks uh, at the time of this recording. Um, can you share with us maybe, you know, two, three, four lessons uh, from your past experiences, whether they be, you know, as a, um, as a, a leader in the army or um, even, you know, some of your early um, political endeavors, maybe share some lessons with people that are, are looking for a, a glimmer of hope, if you will, um, that you've learned from those challenges that you faced in the past that you can start to apply to the things that we're dealing with today? Yeah, and I, I think that's a kind of a, a great question that I'll answer by using kind of the four, what I call my pillars of success. And these have really influenced the way I've operated through the military, through my civilian career, and then serving in elected office. And they're so important to me. I, I had them put on a challenge coin that I use today in the Senate, and I use them as talking points when I uh, changed command, when I relinquished command of my battalion, the 185th CSSB based out of Camp Dodge. Um, I used these four pillars uh, to guide me through my conversation with my wonderful soldiers. Um, the first is assuming prudent risk. And we have to recognize that whatever challenge we're presented with, we need to weigh the pros and cons and how we tackle that challenge or opportunity. And if the risk is worth it, we need to take it. And in whatever situation you're in in life, there's always going to be risk. And in order for us to move forward, we have to embrace that risk as long as it is the right risk to take. So again, prudent risk. Does it make sense? If it does, yes, we need to seize that opportunity. Um, that was just like running for United States Senate. I mean, I really had to weigh, you know, the, the uh, pros and cons uh, before I engaged in the race. And I think it was a prudent risk for me to take. And I'm very honored to be serving where I am. The second is leadership. And, you know, there, there are differences in people out there. And the way the Army defines a leader, a leader is someone who inspires others towards a common goal or objective for the good of the organization, or you could say for the good of the community, for the good of the nation. And the thing there is 
a leader inspires. You know, so many times people will say to me, Joni, you're a senator, or Joni, you were a battalion commander. Joni, you were a company commander. And those things are titles. They don't make you a leader. A leader has to inspire. And so I would say in whatever situation you're in, you have to show people that you can lead from the front. You have to be able to show the people that are following you, you can do what you are asking them to do. I would never ask my soldiers to do something that I can't do. You know, I have to exhibit that leadership and inspire them. Um, so through difficult times, you know, it's keeping that stiff upper lip and it's driving on, you know, showing them you're willing to take on the same, the same challenges, the same hardships, but for a greater good. And that was, you know, in, in our case during deployment for the good of our nation. Um, so the next thing, of course, would be service. And just knowing that I can give back to my community, and this started at a very, very young age through, you know, 4-H projects and, and community projects that we did through Sunday school or Bible school, you know, just being able to do something for our community, it always made me feel very, very good. And so to be able to elevate that service as I got older, whether it was serving my county, whether it was serving my country, you know, it just made me feel good that I was providing service to others that maybe never in a million years could be able to reciprocate that. Um, but, you know, feeling my place for that greater good, I, I recommend anybody give service, and it doesn't have to be in uniform. It can be as simple as reading a child a book at a library or donating blood. I mean, anything that can provide service to others. And then the final uh, pillar is that of gratitude. And it has been important for me, even from a very early age, to always say thank you to those that have made a difference in my life. Um, so the example I'll use is, you know, when I was a battalion commander, all of the promotions for the enlisted soldiers, um, sergeant and above, were put on my desk for my signature. And my staff knew that they were not allowed to take those promotion orders off of my desk until I had inserted a handwritten note card thanking those soldiers for their service and congratulating them um, on their promotions. I wanted them to know how important they were to me and to thank them for being part of such a tremendous organization and serving their country. So gratitude, you know, we don't get to any position of authority on our own. And it's really important that we take the time to thank others for, for the role that they have played in, in my success. So uh, I'm a very grateful person and I love to express that gratitude. So leadership, service, assuming prudent risk and gratitude. Very good. Senator Ernst, thank you for sharing your insights um, on how you made it through challenges, how you continue to lead today. Uh, you know, thank you for your service, uh, both in the in the Army and, and now in the Senate uh, and for all you do. I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule uh, to, to chat with me today. And if you don't have anything else, um, we can go ahead and wrap up because I know you got a, a lot going on. So I want to let you get back yes. to it. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to uh, thank you for taking the time to join me. 
You bet. Thanks so much, Mike. And thanks, everyone. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Leading in Times of Challenge podcast produced by the Greater Des Moines Partnership. To listen to more stories of inspiration, please visit dsmpartnership.com.